I'm going to ask a question this morning. If you're sitting in the back, you may not be able to see what I've got, but if you can see what this is in my hand, if you're sitting way back there, I'm going to have to tell you probably. But what I've got here is an acorn, if you can see that, one, one little acorn. And uh, what that is, if you're unaware, maybe, maybe you know this, you probably do, or a lot of you do, but an acorn is a nut that comes from an oak tree. Right? And inside of it, in the very center of it, is a tiny little seed. Right in the middle of it. So smaller than this is a seed. And from one acorn, one seed inside of one acorn, you could literally, this is not just an illustration, you literally could cover the face of the earth with trees. Just from one. Given the right circumstances and the right conditions, one acorn goes into the ground and it grows up and then it produces more acorns and they fall and over and over and over again. You literally could get an infinite supply of wood from what's in my hand right here. Just this tiny little seed. That's it. Just that one little thing. And you may ask, okay, well, so what? Yeah, that's, that's kind of neat, right? We could get one acorn and we could get all this. And, you know, all right. Well, today we're going to look, when we go back into our, our study of what we've been doing, we've been walking with Jesus. That's the series we're calling it. And simply what we're doing is we're looking at all these snapshots of where Jesus went and what he said, and what he did, and how he taught. And what we're going to look at today is he's going to talk about, he's going to tell a parable or a story about a seed, and how it can have this infinite return, this great thing that can happen with this seed when you let it. Just like the acorn could cover the earth in wood, so the seed that Jesus talks about can have this huge, huge, profound change on your life if you let it. And he tells this story, and he tells three ways in which the seed doesn't grow, and then he gives us how it does grow. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's the parable of the sower. Maybe you're familiar with that story, maybe not. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 8, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with us. In Luke chapter 8, I've been saying each week, a lot of these stories we look at in the Gospels are actually in several of the Gospels. There's some overlap. So we're going to be in Luke 8 today, but if you take notes... You want to go back and read later. It actually takes place, the same story is in Matthew 13, and it's in Mark chapter 4. So you may want to go back and cross-reference and read those later. But we're going to be in Luke 8, and Jesus is going to tell this parable. And if you've been with us in our series, we've been saying over and over, everywhere Jesus goes and what he says and what he does, oftentimes he'll do miracles, and he'll do these signs, and he's casting out demons, and he's doing all these things. But then he says, I'm doing this so that you hear what I'm saying that you listen to my word and what's happening. And so he keeps doing these things, but he keeps saying, don't make it about the the signs I'm doing. Look at what it points to. And he keeps saying that over and over, and people keep ignoring him. So, So at this point in his ministry, he begins to speak in parables. And oftentimes the question comes up when we talk about the parables. Some of the things Jesus says, we're going to see it today. He says it right in the middle of our passage today about how I say this so that some can't hear and some can't see. And you go, wait a second, what is he doing? See, what Jesus is doing is he's not allowing us to stay up here on the surface. He says, I'm going to tell you these stories where you're going to have to dig a little deeper to understand it because I don't want you just to stay up here and see what I'm doing and see the miracles and the signs and not to get to the deepest meaning of what I'm saying. So he begins to talk in these parables because the only way anybody's really going to get what he's saying is to come and ask and question. And the good thing is we read this morning, Jesus is going to tell us the parable and then the disciples are going to say that. Hey, well, what's this about? And then he's going to tell us. So we have the benefit of both. But I, just, I say that just so we're clear on how sometimes that's perplexing as why does he talk in parables. And that's the reason why. That's why he does it. So let's look at Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 4 
through 15. We're going to read the parable of the sower, and then we're going to hear Jesus' explanation directly after that. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed and some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at this passage and what Jesus is telling us this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it can do. We thank you that it's life-giving and that it's alive. I pray this morning that we would fight to be attentive to it, that we'd fight to hear what you have for us, that we would really listen and take to heart what you were teaching that day and what you're teaching today through your Holy Spirit that it is alive and it is active, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your word, and not just to hear it, but to have it take effect and take hold of our, our hearts and bring us closer to you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, as we begin this parable, since we've got the explanation, we've kind of got the two sides of it, we're going to look at it partly that way, but I want us to start with just verse 11. Because Jesus says right in the middle here of our passage, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. That's the key right here as we look at this whole thing. The seed is God's word. And that's what he's going to build on. So I want that to be in your mind as we think about it. Everything he's saying is relating back to God's word and what effect that has on us. And so as we look at this today, as we think about that, as we think about God's word and we think about it and we and we chew on it, and we hopefully it it takes root in our heart, I want us to understand that when we come to God's Word, we're not just reading stories. It's not just some neat little story that Jesus put together. We're actually reading God's very Word. The living God of the universe gave us this, and then Jesus comes, as Hebrew 1 says, He's the exact imprint of the very nature of God. That is, when Jesus speaks, God speaks. So as we read this today, that's what we're hearing. We're hearing God speak to us today. And so we're going to look at this and what we're going to see is how we're changed. How we go from the tiny acorn to the oak tree. How we go from that little bitty seed to something so far greater. And Jesus is going to tell us this story to point to that. And he uses a seed to illustrate his point. So we're going to look at how you go from that change. And there's two things we're going to look at. What keeps us from allowing that to happen? What are the things that keeps us from that root taking hold in us and that growth taking place? 
because he gives us three examples on why that doesn't happen. And then the last thing we're going to look at is how does it happen? Because he does that at the very end. He does both. So what we're going to do is we're just going to step through each one, what keeps us from it taking off. And the way I want to read this this morning is we're going to look at verse 5, and then we're going to look at Jesus' explanation, and we're going to read them back to back because it makes it so much clearer when we do that. So let's look at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. And some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now look at verse 12 with me because Jesus is going to tell us what that means in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. So the first reason we miss it, and this may seem really obvious, but is so foundational to everything he says here as we go through this passage, is simply this. Oftentimes we don't believe this is actually God's word and we treat it accordingly. That's exactly what he's saying. He says what happens in verse uh, 12, he tells us that they fall on the rock and they hear the word, or I'm actually, yes, in the, the path and they've heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, and they're not believing. So before God's word ever has a chance to take root, they don't believe it. In one ear and out the other. They hear just a tiny bit and they dismiss it. And there's two ways I really want us to think about that this morning. You may sit here and you may say, when we talk about this is God's word, and I'm saying this is God's very word to us, if you're really honest, some of you may say, I don't actually believe that. I don't actually believe it's God's word. I think the Bible's a good book. I think it's got some interesting stories. I think it talks about Jesus and he was an interesting guy, but I don't actually believe this is God's word. And that may be where you are. If you're really honest this morning, that may be where you are. And I want to just very candidly say, if that's the case, I am so glad you're here. I really am. And I, and I want you to be here and I want you to be welcome to ask your questions and bring your objections and talk. That's a huge part of what we are as a church and we want you here for those reasons. So we're glad you're here. But what I would ask this morning is please don't dismiss God's word or the possibility of this being God's word by some objections you have, whatever they may be. Oftentimes we have such a closed mind by whatever we heard or our upbringing or whatever it might be. And we go, there's no way that can be God's word. We've proved it from science or it's archaic or it's whatever your reasons. I'm just asking this morning, don't be the guy that Jesus is talking about here or the woman that Jesus is talking about here. Because that's exactly what he's saying. They hear the word of God and they never give it a second thought and they don't even consider because their mind has been so closed to it. Don't do that. All I ask is if you don't believe it's God's word, come to it with an open mind and an open heart and actually read it and see what it says. Don't just dismiss it. That's the first way. You may just say, I don't believe it. But the second way, and it's so much more subtle, and it's a lot scarier in a lot of ways. And I think I say that because that's what Jesus says in Revelations. It's better to be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because what happens so often is we sit in church and we say, yes, I believe it's God's word. I do believe it's God's word. And then I say, or, some, or someone says, you begin to talk, well, what, is it, what does your interaction with God's word look like? I don't really have time to read it. It's kind of boring. It's such an old book. I don't really know what's going on. I can't follow the stories. I open it up and I get lost and I don't know what's going on. So I just don't really read it. But I believe it's God's word. And oftentimes I hear that frequently. I just don't have time. My life is so busy. I don't really have time to spend in God's word. And I want to ask the question very pointedly this morning. If that's the case, if you really believe this is God's word, do any of those 
excuses. Any of those, are they valid? Any of them? Absolutely not. If you really believe this is God's word, and if you really believe it's God's word, I want you just to, and if you say you do, don't just flippantly say, yes, I believe it's God's word, and go, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. This is for all of us. I want you to examine your heart. So don't flippantly say that about God's word. I want you to consider what it says. If you believe this is God's very word to us, I want you to understand what you're saying you believe. And what you're saying you believe is this. That this, when God speaks, God acts. It's not just words. I want you to think about that for just a second. When God created the universe, if you go back and you're saying, I believe the Bible, you go back to Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Do you understand what that means? When God opens his mouth and speaks, things happen. It's not just words. It's not just stories. It's actually active and moving and breathing and living. That's what Hebrews says. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not just words and it's not just stories. It's something so much greater than that. And so when we start to say, yes, I believe that it's God's word, I want you to think about what it actually says. John 17, Jesus is praying to God the Father for us. He's he's praying for the church, and what he says is, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? Sanctify means draw closer to God, grow closer to who he is. And Jesus' prayer for us, God talking to God is, sanctify them, draw them closer to you by your word. That's Jesus' words. That's how Jesus says we draw closer to him. So when we start to think about what we're really saying we believe, Isaiah 40 says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. That means it's eternal. That means it doesn't go out of style. That doesn't mean it's not relevant today because it's old. It's eternal. It's as relevant today as it was the day that God spoke it and the day it was written down. It's eternal. It's always been and always will be. Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. This is God speaking to Isaiah. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. Do you understand what he's saying? My word will not return void. What that means is any time that you spend in God's word seeking him will never, ever, ever be time wasted. Ever. And I want you to think about when we start to put all those together. Or Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed for the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Paul says the gospel, it is the power of God. And when you start to put all those together, what you have is it's eternal. It will not return void. It's how we draw closer to God. It is living. It is active. It is not just stories. It is not just anecdotes. It's not neat little sayings that we kind of pick and choose. It is God's very word to us. And that is something very different than, ah, yeah, maybe I'll read it if I can fit it in. If I'm not too busy, maybe I'll read two verses in my devotional this morning. I ask that to say this in Isaiah 66 that we just read this morning. All these things my hands have made, God says. Everything I've made, all of it. I'm sovereign over everything there is. 
declares the Lord, but this is to whom I look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now we say trembles sometimes or we say the fear of the Lord and we go, I don't really like that part. I don't really want to be afraid, tremble at the word, but I want us to be clear of what that actually means. Because sometimes we talk in biblical language and we go, that sounds kind of scary. It doesn't mean cowering in the corner, afraid of it. It means having a reverential awe for who God is. When we talk about trembling at his word, it means to be overwhelmed with the wonder before the greatness of God and his love. So I say all this today. If you believe this is God's word, do you open it and tremble at the living God before you? Are you overwhelmed by his love and his goodness? Do you come to your Bible that way? Or does it sit on your shelf and you go, I don't really have time for that? Because there's no either or. And the reason I say that this morning, and I spend so much time on this first point, is this. If it sits on your shelf and you never open it and you don't have time for it, you may be the person Jesus is talking about in verse 5. And my heart breaks, if that's the case. Don't be that person. Don't be the one that Jesus talks about who it goes in one ear and they never even give it a second thought. Because it is life-giving. It is alive and it is eternal. It is all those things we just talked about. And it's so important that you see that. So, that, so that's the first part. And I know that's very, very basic. The very first part is, do you believe it's God's word? Because if you don't, I mean, we're kind of, we're just going around in circles. So that's the first part. Do you believe it's God's word? But then there's a second and a third. And let's look at those. We spent a lot of time on the first one. We're going to do take the second two a little quicker. Verse 6 says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And then in verse 13, Jesus explains, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But they have no root, and they believe for a while, and a time of testing, they fall away. And what he's saying is, there are those that hear the gospel. They hear the good news of Jesus. You're saved by what God does for you and nothing else. We say that every week here. And I'm going to affirm that. You are saved by no doing of your own. It's God's doing on your behalf through Jesus Christ and his atoning work and nothing else. But what happens is we hear that, and maybe somewhere in the past you walked down the aisle, you heard that and said, yes, I want that. I want uh, assurance of my salvation. I want assurance of what happens when I die. Maybe that happened at vacation Bible school as a child. And then the rest of your life you've spent ignoring God. That's what Jesus is talking about. They grab it with joy. Yes, I will take that. Let me have that. And then everything else... They they jump in with the joy and an excitement. Yes, that's really good. And then it starts to fade, and then they go back to life. And I start to chase my dreams and all my other stuff, and I get busy with life, and God gets put on the shelf. I was thinking about it uh, through about a song where the guy says, uh, it was a song I was thinking about when I used to listen to often, and he says, uh, I went out wandering, and I went to to the town where the citizens like to sin. And they, want the, they say they want the kingdom of God, but they don't want God in it. That's what we're talking about here in this one. 
I want the salvation. That's what the masses were saying. I want the miracles. I want the things you can give me, Jesus. And then Jesus turns to them and says, well, come follow me. And they go, oh, just a second. I don't know about that. So sell all your stuff and come follow me to the rich young ruler. Oh, wait a second, Jesus. I don't care that much. That's why Jesus was saying, when you put your hand to the plow and you come after me, it it means you go all the way. It's not just kind of wishy-washy, half and half. And that's what he's talking about here. And what happens, and I think what happens today in the church, how we get to that point, we say, yes, I want salvation. Yes, it's free. I'll take that. That's great. All I've got to do is say, I believe. And we hear that, and we hear that it's free. But what happens is we miss the next piece. We say, it's free. I'll take that. Give me that. But then we somehow think that it's free. It's completely free. It's free to us. God does it for us, but it's not free. It was costly. It was infinitely costly to Christ to give us our salvation. And what happens is we become this person that says, yes, I accept it with joy, and then I go and I don't do anything because we don't realize that. We just look at it as free. And what I mean by that, Ken Boa, if you were here on Wednesday night, he came and taught, and he explained this so well, about how as we grow in our knowledge of God and who he is, we see greater and greater how much our need is. Our sinfulness becomes more and more clear and God's majesty becomes greater and greater and greater and we see the chasm between us and Him. And as we grow, it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and what happens is our view of grace becomes larger and larger and larger. And that's what happens. But when we don't have that, our view of grace is so small and that's what Jesus says. And then hard times come and it crushes us because we have such a small view of who God is and how great His love is for us. So if we never spend time getting to know Him, when the hard times come, we fall apart. And that's what He's talking about in the second one. So the second part really is, is uh, the second thing that keeps us from us is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. We, we go and we go, yes, yes, it's free and I'll take that, but we never go any deeper than that. And we cheapen it. And then when hard times come, it crushes us. So that's the second part that keeps us when we cheapen what God has done for us and we don't see the fullness of it. And then the third one, verse 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And then Jesus explains what he means in verse 14. And as those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What Jesus is saying, the third thing that keeps us from us is we may have some knowledge of the Bible. We may start to get it. We might start to see who God is. But then all the surrounding influences of our lives take over. And we start to chase after other things. And we let the world define what we're about and what gives us joy and what we chase after. And it chokes out that relationship with him because we put our focus on so many other things. And what Jesus says here is devastating when you really stop and think about it. Because what he's saying is so many people waste their lives on things that don't really matter. You know, the other night, I'll go back to what Kim Boa said the other night, because he said it really well. He was talking about finishing the race well. That was his topic. And what he started with was Hebrews 11. And he said that we have to fix our eyes on the unseen, not the seen. What's to come, what God is going to do, his future and his greatness and his redemption and all those things. And instead, he said, that's the mark of those who finish well in Hebrews 11. 
And Jesus is saying the exact opposite here. I mean, he's he's saying the same thing, but from the other side. This is why people miss it, because they make it about the things that are seen and not the things that are unseen. And it chokes it chokes it out. I was thinking about uh, there's a really popular song when I was either in high school or college. And it was by a rock band and it came out and it was real popular. And then years later, Johnny Cash decided to cover it, which that means if you're in a band and you wrote a song, you've arrived because Johnny Cash says, I'm going to cover your song. And Johnny Cash went and he recorded this song and he recorded it right before he died. It was literally within just a few months before his death. And the song didn't actually get released until after he died. And there was a video that went with it and all this stuff. And it became so much more poignant because it was released after he died. And here you had his, as only Johnny Cash can sing, his voice coming from beyond the grave, so to speak, and singing this song. And he would say, there was a line in the song that says, Everything I know goes away in the end, and you can have it all, my empire of dirt. And here he is singing, the song's released after he dies, and you've got Johnny Cash singing about how everything I have is going away, all the earthly stuff is going away, and you can have it because it's just an empire of dirt. And it was so poignant because what he was saying goes exactly with what Jesus is saying. We spend so much time accumulating things that we can't take with us, and they don't matter anyway. And that's what Jesus is saying. We let those things choke out the gospel and what he wants to do and that growth that could take place because we put our focus on the wrong things. And that's the third part. We let the the fading things choke out the eternal things. And that's the three ways that Jesus tells us he misses it. So that takes us, well, how does it take root and really flourish? How do we go from the little seed to the oak tree? You know, one of the neat things about this congregation and in this church is there's some oak trees here. And that's a really neat thing to have. I'm sorry he's not here today. I've been thinking about this this week. But the reality is, if you don't know Gary Gambrell, you should get to know him. Because we have an oak tree sitting here among us. And it's a great thing to go and talk. And when you talk to somebody like Gary, he would affirm everything I'm about to say that Jesus is saying. And it's simply this, that how do we go? How do we allow it to happen? Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then in verse 15, he says, as for the good soil, it is those who hear and hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That's the way Luke says it. Matthew says it instead of holding fast. Matthew says they understand it. But the two go hand in hand. When you hold fast God's word and you cherish it and you come to it like we were talking about with fear and trembling that you're coming before the God of the universe, it begins to change you. And it takes hold. And you start to understand it and a wonderful thing starts to happen. See, the difference between the first three soils and what Jesus is saying, all the reasons that it didn't work, and the last one is simply this. It's a problem of depth. The last seed that takes root went down into the ground and had rain and soil and nurtured and it grew up. The other ones all stayed up here on the surface. There was no depth to it. But in this last one, it goes deeper and deeper. I love it in a... There's a book called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson. And he's simply talking about how to read the Bible. And one of the things he says is we spend so much time sitting around talking about other things. And he uses the example, I think, of when we, when we watch a football game, we relive the football game with our friends. And remember this play and remember that play and all this. And he says, but do we do that with God's word? 
And he uses the example and he says the neat thing about commentaries. This is what he's talking about in the book. Biblical commentaries where, where ancient or preachers from the past or great minds have written down all their thoughts on the scripture. When I open the commentary, it's like I've entered into a conversation with those men on what they see in God's word. And what a neat, beautiful thing that is. I sat with Jonathan Edwards this week. And we talked about this through, through what he wrote. Or Tozer. Or Pink. Or John Stott. And what a neat thing that is when you start to do that and you start to really talk. And not just the great minds, but when we do that together. When we start to go, did you see this? Did you see that before? People say that all the time to me. I'll, I'll prepare all this time to teach and we sit down and we teach and you'll say all this stuff and then somebody will go, well, have you ever thought of this? And you're like, No. That's wonderful. But when we start to do that together, it starts to take root and take hold. There's a very practical application to this sermon for what we do even on Sunday morning. And I want to make sure we all get this and think about it. When we come together, I want you just to think about what we do. We stand up and we start our service by reading God's Word. And we pray. And then we sing God's Word. We're literally singing God's Word in the songs we sing. And then we have a reading. And then we stand up and we open God's Word together. And then we do communion, which is God's word. Put the pictures. So when we talk about fear and trembling at God's word and really letting it take root and take hold and understanding it, my challenge is this. Prepare your heart for this time. Read the Psalms before you come here on Sunday morning. Put in your favorite worship music as you drive to church and worship before you get here. We want to come before God's Word with fear and trembling, with a reverential awe of who He is. Uh, I read this week, Dr. John Piper says it like this, don't coast in worship. Don't show up and just, ah, maybe I'll listen, maybe I won't. Because that goes back to the question, do you really believe this is God's Word? Because if you do, you don't have that posture when you open it up and come to it. So there's that very practical application. But then the last part I want us to, to finish here together as we talk about this. When you begin to really do these things and you dig into his word and you start to come before it with fear and trembling, seeing the beauty of who he is, something wonderful happens. New sprouts begin to take place that seed starts to open up and it starts to grow. And it starts to get bigger and stronger and greater and bigger. And what happens is when you do, you want more of it. And you want to see it more and you want to hear it more and you want to talk about it more. And you want to spend more time in it with other people who love the Lord. But not just that. The wonderful thing that happens is it's not just the head knowledge that takes place. Oh, now I've got the answers. Now I can tell you why whatever, whatever theological thing. That's not what happens. What happens is you begin to see Him. You begin to see the God of the universe before you and you realize that you know Him. And not only do you know Him when you open this, you see Him on every page. And not only do you see Him on every page, you see how every page points to Jesus and how much He loves you. It's not just some stories. It's life-giving, and it leads you to know the God of the universe in a way that you haven't known Him before. And so when we talk about this, it's not just, this is not a sermon to go, 
listen to me more when I'm preaching. It's a sermon to hope, hopefully bring you face to face with how important God's word is in your life. It is the way he acts. It's not just words. It's actually action. It's the way God moves. So as we finish this morning, let us be a people of the word so that we are overwhelmed with the majesty of our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it for us, that you've preserved it, that we can know you through it, that it's not just stories, that it's not just some neat things we can pick and choose from, but that it is actually life-giving that changes us. It changes us from one degree of glory to another as we grow closer to who you are. Let us embrace that as a church body and as a people, that we would love your word, that we would know it, that we would hold one another accountable uh, to it. And we thank you for it. And we thank you most of all to what it points us to and that says you love us and that you gave yourself for us through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.